0: In nomine Patris et Fili Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus.
1: Santa Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus nunc et ora mortis nostre, Amen.
0: In nomine Patris et Fili Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Brethren in Christ, Jesus is King. Welcome to the 1 Peter 5 podcast, rebuilding Christendom, Restoring Catholic Culture and Tradition. And I'm very happy to be joined by my good friend, Luis Medina. Luis, how you doing, brother?
1: Hey, Timothy. Good morning from Texas. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invite.
0: Yeah, today we're going to be talking about uh, one of my favorite topics, Hispanidad, uh, but not as much of a favorite as Luis Medina, who <laughs> is... Uh, is the founder and runner of the ministry Reconquista, which is Spanish language. So, if you speak yeah. Spanish, this is a perfect place to go. Tell us what's going on lately.
1: What's what's new with
0: Reconquista?
1: Oh my goodness, lots of things going on. We have different guests uh, talking about health, spiritual health, mental health, politics. Usually, Reconquista started. Uh brief story with a political angle, because I uh, focus on U.S. policy, explain it to the Spanish-speaking world, you know, what U.S. policy means for their countries, right, like especially with commodities or whatever, things like that, um, and it kind of evolved and grew like that, and it's still at the heart of, in, in politics, you know, because I started on radio doing political coverage, went to the White House, you know, all that kind of stuff, and uh, now there's a lot of more like an integrative type of uh, podcast, and I'm very happy, so I have different interviews. This Thursday I'm gonna have in Spanish a economist and historian, Ariel Umpierres, uh, who's gonna talk about inflation, you know, explain especially concerning the US and Latin America. So that's where we got him this week in Reconquista Network.
0: Fantastic. And so should people just go to the the YouTube URL? Is that the best place to start here? Uh,
1: that's the one. Yeah, it's as you see it, Reconquista Network. Reconquista, I name it, after the reconquest, inspiring the reconquest of Spain. Uh, and the aim is for reconquering our media, you know, bringing back uh, back good content. The aim of Reconquista is not just bring quality content, which I have, obviously. I'm not the only one who does that, but it's actually doing more like relevant content, things that you can actually employ in your daily life, your daily struggles, whether you're an entrepreneur uh cleric doesn't matter mom uh homeschooling you name it uh, so that's kind of the aim of the channel uh it's not necessarily more like uh a focus on revisionist history or whatever point which we touch uh touch history and all that but really it's more amos uh practical knowledge and uh we're very glad that you know so, so it's been an awesome journey
0: fantastic thanks be to god uh, you're doing great work luis so check it out spanish language Reconquista. Uh, so I wanted to start with, um, oh, you know what? Actually, before we start there into our topic, let me just say, welcome to the 11th week after Pentecost. Once again, we're promoting this calendar because it is critical for rebuilding Christendom in your family. Is this beautiful calendar, liturgyofthehome.com. You can get it at this website, liturgyofthehome.com. So it's the 11th Sunday after Pentecost. Today is the Feast of the Immaculate Heart of the Blessed Virgin Mary. This feast obviously is intimately connected with Our Lady of Fatima, intimately connected with the modern period, um, and, as we'll talk in just a moment, intimately connected with Hispanidad through Our Lady of Guadalupe, the two different Guadalupes. So uh, this week we have St. Philip Benizi, the Apostle, St bartholomew we have saint louis the ninth and this is really big as well because in the city of saint louis saint louis uh missouri in the united states they're having a great celebration of christendom and the great saint saint louis um in response to the summer of love marxist attempts at takeover (laughs) of our states and the cities in the united states when you know, the BLM was about uh, burning and destroying poor people's businesses in the er- inner city. Um, so they have this beautiful response to this because they try to tear down the, stat- the statue of St. Louis in St. Louis. And uh, they so they in response to this, they have this beautiful procession and celebration of St. Louis. And uh, he is a great crusader king. He is a, a, a wonderful lay saint. He's a layman, obviously, a layman of Christendom. There's a fantastic book, in fact. Just uh, recommend this real quick because this is so important. This is called Before Church and State. And we'll talk about this today with Hispanidad, but this is French Christendom, obviously. And um, this is what our French forefathers built in Canada and the Midwest, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about in a few weeks with Charles Colomb and Kennedy Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, and St. Louis helped to build this. Um, and that was before church and state, before there was this strong distinction, obviously, even in the church today, we have that problem because the church itself is defined as the clergy instead of the clergy and the laity. Yeah. Um, so big feast day coming up this week. So, and then before we get into our topic, we do need to remind everyone that this is a free program, but it's not free to produce. We do have costs. We got bills to pay. We are a nonprofit. So we do ask for your support. We need monthly contributors in particular. So go to onepeter5.com slash donate. So first, let's start with our lady. Uh, I really, yeah. I think that our lady is really the soul of of his dad. Uh, oh so yeah. Have, I, I put uh, so the the thumbnail. If you if if viewers aren't familiar with this thumbnail, the thumbnail is Nuestra Senora de Guadalupe, Extremadura, which is in yeah. Spain. Yeah. And then we have obviously we we prayed the Ave Maria before the icon of Our Lady of Guadalupe, Empress of the Americas. So there's two different Guadalupes, two different Our Lady of Guadalupe. So tell us about Our Lady and her relation to Hispanidad, Luis.
1: Well, Our Lady and our relation to Hispanidad is always very, uh, very deep. Actually, that's the key characteristic of the Hispanic Catholicism, if I can put it that way. And we'll define Hispanic uh, or Hispanicity, whatever you want to call it, uh, a little later on. Um, On a final, very quickly, uh, the St. Louis King of France, one of my favorite kings, and I say this because Spain has had St. Ferdinand, which is a great king, not Ferdinand, the the spouse of Queen Isabella, Ferdinand the king, uh, the father of Alphonsus the wise, Uh, so we have great monarchs, but St. Louis, by all means, the ironic thing is I'm known for Hispanidad, but he's actually, I'm named after him. Luis is my middle name. He'll says my first one. So I'm named after the French king. And I've been oh, to the uh, Basilica in St. Louis, Missouri, too. I have to, right? Uh, so um, I'm a great admirer of St. Louis, And I, I wish, you know, we can have uh, leaders and politicians that emulate his behavior. But anyway, back to our lady, Guadalupe. So that's the name of the Guadalupe River. Remember when Spain, long story short, is when the Moors conquer Spain. Um, or started recon- uh, conquering Spain, most of it. Islam, by the way, uh, is still till this day very salty against Spain, and there's a reason why, because it's the only, Spain is the only place where Islam has not just lost but lost badly. Everywhere else that Islam has set foot, they have set shop and they stay there forever till this day. You know, all those lands used to be Christian, Orthodox, or Western Christian, you name it. They have stayed there all the way to Asia, except for Spain. And this is why one of the extreme uh, wings of Islam, till this day, uh, they claim, usually when they're going to reconquer, they're also going to start with Spain. They haven't forgotten about that. They reconquista. It's the only place. Other than that, uh, and this is why it's so dreadful as Islam advances in Europe again. But anyway, on the side note, so the Moors are starting advancing, there's this little statue that St. Luke, yeah, the same writer of the gospel of St. Luke carved, and it's an image of Our Lady. Obviously, it hasn't darkened because of time, you know, wear and tear. And it's known as the Our uh, brown or darkened lady, la morena, okay, in Spanish. So, as the Moors were advanced, this image was taken up north. And it was buried, you know, because they didn't want the Moors to commit sacrilege and just, you know, desecrate uh, the image of Our Lady. Well, uh, that was in the year 700. Um like the 14th century, a uh, farmer, a rural person was looking for their animals, a shepherd was looking for their animals, and uh, he just found the image by accident. It is very funny how we find this theme of Our Lady appearing randomly in Spanish society. Remember the battle of, um, ah, I forget the name right now, against the Dutch right now. is very important. Uh, the Miracle of Empel, the Miracle of Empel in, in the Netherlands um they found that they dug uh image of our lady an icon of our lady uh with the blue mantle which is very distinctive for our lady in spain by the way that color so yes, anyway that, that,
0: that was the army of flanders that was flanders yeah, the, the hispanic <laughs> army of flanders sorry we'll yeah. get back to that.
1: go ahead yeah so you know one of those uh reoccurring things our lady appears in uh it heals people a village is you know commemorated and they become uh, basically long story short it turns into a pilgrimage sh- like a shrine and till this day is one of the most visited our lady guadalupe when our peers says uh, she was speaking actually in that world, which is the indigenous tongue of the descendants of the aztecs and a lot of the mesoamerican tribes and that's why when they're trying to translate the name that she gave her the title was the Guadalupe, and there was that connection there. It's like, oh, this is incredible. I mean, this is a reassurance of what's going on in Spain centuries before uh, with Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico. The difference is that Our Lady of Guadalupe in uh, Mexico, or well, what is now like Mexico, because technically it was still Spain, has become, I think it's the second most visited shrine in the world, or something just right after Vatican City. I'm not sure. Like, it's just, a, it's... Of international phenomenon uh, that literally belongs to everyone. And it's like a confirmation of what Our Lady was doing in the whole new world, not just what is now known as Mexico. This is one of the reasons why, by the way, Timothy, I... Uh, object and fight the idea that Our Lady Guadalupe is a Mexican phenomenon, because, A, first of all, there was not such thing as Mexico back then, it was a Spanish phenomenon, and B, it was not even intended to be a nationalistic symbol, anyway, that's not, that goes against the grain of being Hispanic, we, we don't have nationalistic tones. If you see that, it's clearly been imported by different ideologies, but anyway, that's the uh, short version of our story of Our Lady Guadalupe and her presence in Spain. Why is Our Lady so present in Spain? I don't know. Uh um and, and it might be with uh, St James who uh might have have something to do with it. You know, we know the story of St James in Spain. Uh our lady if I'm not mistaken ended up in France, you know, um and uh, but we don't know there's like different debated versions. France clearly has a strong mayor and uh, um as uh, after the word um veneration but what distinguishes uh, Hispanic uh, and Hispanicity is a very central, not just a strong central role that our lady plays in our society. It's just a given. It was a shocker to me, Timothy, to learn that different Catholics don't have a strong merit devotion that, you know, I grew up with. That's just the way it is.
0: Oh, that's funny. Yeah. You, you grew up in Mexico. And you just found out that some Catholics don't have a strong marriage devotion. I
1: thought it was universal, honestly. I mean, and, and then I learned some German Catholics or Polish Catholics, and obviously, it's not that they don't care about Our Lady. Clearly, they care. We're Catholics, right? That's that's just a given. But it did not really play a central role in that sense. Whereas for us, it's almost like she literally designed our society as it is nowadays. You know, it's a very maternal image of her here for us.
0: Yeah, I remember the when Real Madrid won the European Championship, they immediately brought, they went back to Spain and they brought their trophy cup to Our Lady.
1: Yeah, it is a big (laughs) culture. And this is talking about soccer club, the biggest soccer club in the world in history too. My favorite soccer club, by the way. Um, And it has something to do with a secular world, a cultural thing. And it's still like, hold on, we gotta you know give praise to Our Lady. And Real Madrid is a very diverse team, by the way. It's not just a bunch of Spanish Catholics there. You have people from all over the world. Think about it like the, uh, you know, I'm a, Boston, I'm a Boston Red Sox fan, but I got to admit, you know, the Yankees are the Yankees, right? That's that's just, that's as high as it gets in baseball. Well, it's kind of like the same thing with Real Madrid. They're like the equivalent of the Yankees in, in the soccer world. And you're going to get the best of best from all corners of the world. And people just embrace it. You know, it's a such strong association with Catholicism that till this day, despite the Spanish government, the current Spanish government, who's trying so hard to rid Spain of its uh, Catholic heritage, you know, it's still, you know, you know just uh, standing strong.
0: So tell us, can you define what is Hispanidad? Can you just yeah. get into that?
1: Hispanidad, you can uh, just uh, summarize it very simple. Is the idea, the Catholic idea of a society. Not, let me give you an example. So most societies center their identity on language, race, some sort of cultural heritage um, or prosperity or some sort of something. you know, fill in the blank. Hispanidad is not anchor on that. It's anchor in Catholicism. Uh, and so, in other words, is to be Catholic, to be Hispanic is to be Catholic. Okay, which is different from being national Catholic. It's not imposing Catholicism on anything that you find. It's just the the lenses that we look life through is going to be the lenses of Catholicism, and this is what makes a difference now. That language doesn't matter to us as much because there are Hispanics that speak Italian, Catalonian, Basque, indigenous tongues, Spanish, which happens to be the strongest and most popular one. Uh, it was actually the Franciscans, you know, uh, Spanish Franciscans, who recorded the indigenous tongues and actually codify it otherwise the indigenous people the nahua descendants of the aztecs would have lost their tongues you know it was which is ironic with this indigenous movements because in a hispanic worldview that does not represent a different language does not represent a threat to our identity which is to be catholic Um, the threat for us is when we exchange this value of Catholicity or being Catholic for something else, fill in the blank. That's what it is. So the state and the church actually cooperate. I don't want to say like they work together because they have different functions and all that, but they actually cooperate. They're not antagonistic in that Hispanic worldview. And this is a key element. There's not a competition between the church and state. The state does what a state does, which is an you know, administer justice, as St. Paul admonishes. But the church actually is in charge of shaping the culture. And this is a key element. In other words, this is a big issue with Protestant missionaries when they go, especially to Mexico and other places, but particularly in Mexico. And I have friends who are Protestants and, and missionaries, great friends that I admire, friends in Mexico, friends in Spain, actually, who are Baptist missionaries in Spain. And they really have a hard time because they noticed that they can hardly evangelize the locals. And we're talking about great numbers. They can do maybe some local churches. They grow a lot, but it cannot take a cultural phenomenon because, and they admittedly said this, the moment you cease to be Catholic, you find yourself outside of your own culture. You know, you, you don't, the feast in the culture doesn't longer make sense in Mexico or any Hispanic country when you don't, when you detach the Catholic element to it. And they trying to replace that with some sort of economic theory or some sort of like industrious or idealism or whatever, which there's nothing wrong with economic, you know, prosperity, but it's just not, it doesn't gel because the society was literally shaped under Catholic lenses. And Our Lady Guadalupe, like I mentioned before in different podcasts with you, is the prime example of what a, a Christian society was designed to be for. You know, this is not white indigenous or European and American or whatever it is, is a Catholic uh, unity.
0: Well, and that's exactly why the enemies of Christ have tried to use Our Lady of Guadalupe as a national symbol Mm -hmm. instead of as a Catholic symbol. And that's been, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's been their their modus operandi throughout the Spanish empire because Mm -hmm. it's all, all about making a national identity, trying to extract that national identity out of Catholicism. Yeah, because because it can't it can't really be divorced from Catholicism. It's so intertwined. What about yeah. the term Latino? This is what we hear in the United States a lot. People say I'm a Latino, Latina, whatever. What do you think about the term Latino versus Hispanic?
1: Well, uh, let's explain for very quickly the differences. Latino actually comes from Napoleon III, uh, the grand nephew of Napoleon Bonaparte, when it was the last attempt of France to conquer or have an enclave in the americas so when mexico owed a bunch of money to creditors meaning spain england france uh spain and england worked out some deal with mexico France uh, took us an opportunity to set some claim in the new world because they saw the rise of the united states as a powerhouse and they want to have some interest especially with the uh um, Monroe Doctrine and all that, like it's just American exceptionalism, that they don't want any European interference in this continent. Well, Napoleon III thought that's when he coined the term Latin American, and that's what it became mainstream ever since, uh, because he was the last, let's say, big international figure to have some interest here in the U.S. That's when Maximilian came, by the way, to Mexico and the whole story. Well, and Latin American, in essence, means anybody who comes from a Roman descent or culture. So in other words, technically, Mr. Cologne is a Latin American, you know, but nobody thinks of him as a Latin, obviously. But uh, anyway, which is France, Portuguese, Spanish, Romanian, Italian. We don't have a lot of Romanian heritage here in America, but uh, anybody who has a Roman uh, connection is a Latin. So technically, Brazilians, even though they speak Portuguese, they don't speak Spanish, they're Latin. But nowadays, at least in America, is used to reference to Spanish, strictly speaking, Spanish descendant people. Hispanics, another word. Hispanics actually are those who descend from Hispania, modern day, modern day uh, Spain. Uh, Hispania was the name that the Romans gave to that province, by the way. That's where it comes from. Um, and all those who speak the Castilian or Spanish, which is the same thing, language, are Hispanic. Every Hispanic is Latin, but not every Latin is Hispanic, to put it that way. A lot of people get a little bit um, irked or bothered by the term. Like, I'm not Latin, I'm Hispanic. It doesn't really bother me, to be honest. Just because you know, it gets a little more like on a semantic battle. That it's just I'm more concerned about. Okay, let let's let sanctify the culture, right? You know, and if I'm not gonna let a term like Latino uh, get on the way now, uh, very quickly with modern mainstream media and their agenda, you've seen Timothy, and many people probably have seen it too. That the mainstream media, the left, usually tries to appropriate words and they try to remake it, which is a typical classic strategy of Marxists, right? They will redefine language. Well, they use the whole Latin X, which has not gelled, actually has been counterproductive. And all these progressives and liberals here in the US are like baffled, you know, because they're like, why, why have they haven't they embraced this thing and they don't understand the Hispanic culture essentially? Because is destroying our heritage but anyway that in uh, short is the difference between latino or latin and hispanic
0: excellent thank you so uh, let's talk about why why at one peter five why we are so interested in Hispanidad and hispanic christendom it's because our editorial stance is rebuild christendom unite the clans spain in particular perhaps more than any other nation but uh You know, arguably other nations did it well, too. Uh, Like we think of Poland, for example. But Spain, unique among the Catholic nations, has conquered and overcome the three major enemies of Christ in their history. One, you already mentioned the Saracens, the Mohammedans, the Moors, Mm -hmm. the Reconquista took 700 years, but they were finally forced out 1492. And then two, the Protestants. The, the heretics never found any root in Spain. They were, I mean, <laughs> they never really yeah. made it in until later, as you said, the, the Baptists, but still they can't, they have such a hard it's time converting okay. Spaniards and, and Mexicans. And then three, the communists. And that brings us to the 20th century struggle as yeah. well, the Spanish Civil War. So can you comment at all about Spanish Christendom and yeah. its unconquered record against these These enemies of Christ that have conquered many other nations. I mean, you mentioned France. I mean, France, one of the most bloody, destructive, you know, the French Revolution. Tell us about uh, more about Spanish Christendom and those three great crowns of victory that it has.
1: (laughs) This is, and and the reason why uh, um, we embrace this a lot is for us in America, at least we're speaking, because both Timothy and I have been blessed to live in this country. Spain provides like a blueprint of what's to come and how to overcome it. You know, and it's like, once again, the the Spanish, just the uh, uh, culture and history always helps America. America wouldn't be, and literally, this is just common knowledge. And even Biden's admitted it last uh, few months. America wouldn't be America without Spain. That's just the way it is. You know, we think often like France. Yeah, but actually Spain put the money and a lot of the hard work and especially in the South with uh, the Battle of Pensacola and Mobile and all that. So Spain in the 20th century again provides us a great blueprint. It's the only country, just like Islam lost there, it's the only country where Nazism uh, was not be able to take root, but also socialism or communism were not be able to take root. Uh, the, the Marxists actually financed a lot of the intellectual movement in Spain in the early 20th, late 19th century. So before we get to Franco, we got to understand the conditions. What was going on there in Spain? You have a bunch of intellectuals which obviously to a lot of you nowadays is not a shocker, who really got in this idea, just like Marxist idea, and they started thinking, you know what, we should apply this. And they got in their heads so that they, they got to get rid of the king. Why? Because the king represents a monarch that is authoritarian. He let a general rule the country uh, for a little dictatorship, the dictatorship of Primo de Rivera, so they could not forgive that. They just got all these like modern ideas imported from the rest of Europe to Spain when they were finally able to have their republic and they did all these reforms, this is a key lesson for us because we're living it right this moment, Timothy. One of the first things the republicans, that's how it was known, the liberals for them back then, um, was they used codified language, just like we see nowadays. They said, we're gonna fund schools. you know, We're gonna take care of uh, illiteracy and all that. And they started funding schools. But the thing is, leftists use schools to actually indoctrinate which is exactly what we see nowadays one of the greatest factories of indoctrination in this nation is the public school system i mean it is uh, recorded not just like here. we've seen evidence of how those teachers uh use that to just infiltrate ideology especially ideology that goes against Christianity. I cannot be more specific because the algorithms algorithms, I'm sorry, will censor our channel and it kind of defeats the point. But you guys understand what I'm trying to say. Well it's the same back then and they trying to create a chasm or a division between church and state. Remember in Hispanidad, they work together or cooperate even though they're different and they have different interests and at times they actually even have conflicts but they still work for the better of society. Everybody knows their role. Well, in this new idea, this, I just, uh, Marxist idea infiltrating in academic circles, they really saw the need to separate the church completely, make it like secular and divorce from the state, uh, in the society. And one of those things they did is, okay, we're going to get rid of school. You know, the church cannot longer teach kind of the same thing as Mexico and the Cristero stuff. Um, we're going to get rid of the school thing uh, and they use like ideas like we're going to let women vote. But really underneath that idea, we're slipping a lot of things, which is the same thing happened in our country. is happening in our country nowadays in the name of diversity. They're actually trying to just squeeze anything that is Christian or transcendental for that matter anyway, uh, out of our society. So they did that. They start doing some reforms and bringing Marxism to society. And the Spanish society were like, okay, we don't like it, we're gonna put up with you until they start attacking the church. They start sacking the churches. They start like, you know, desecrating uh, cemeteries and persecuting priests and killing them. That's when the Spanish society had enough. And the only trigger event was when they assassinated this political leader from the right. And they realized, okay, if they can go after this political leader, uh, they can go after all of us. And that's when Franco and other conservative generals rose and start the civil war started. There's a lot of parallels um, in our country, modern day, if we see, how can I put it, Timothy? Unprecedented events where certain agencies from our government all of a sudden feel free to raid uh, former political figures in this nation with no uh, uh, accountability, let me put it that way. And a lot of people are wondering if they did that to former powerful figures in our nation, Obviously they can do that to the rest of the population, and we all become targets. Again, Spain is providing the blueprint for us and we can learn even from their mistakes, by the way. So that's what like uh, uh, in 1936, you know for three years, there was a big civil war. For whatever reason, Timothy uh, and maybe you or the guys in the chat can explain that to me. I don't understand why every time the left or the Marxists to be more specific, take hold of power, they feel the need to desecrate religious uh, shrines and temples. It's the only ideology, Timothy. Till this day, we see the neo-Marxists and all this, like you know, global elites and all that. Is the only ideology that encourages you to not have children, to forget that it's anything transcendental, that is completely materialistic. Islam is not is not materialistic, and we obviously disagree with, with Islam, uh, Judaism the same way. Any other religion, they all actually thrive with just have kids, live your life, you know, we have conflicts and all that. This is the only ideology with Marxists that actually is counterproductive and reduces you, actually takes away from you rather than increasing. Uh, and, and it's to, to this day is baffling, to so I don't understand why it's that way and why people even embrace it. Well, even back then, so, you know, they started fighting. And long story short is you have a vision. The cities were taken by the Republicans, the countryside by the uh, nationalists or the the conservatives, Franco followers. Franco was one of the most skilled generals in the Spanish army. And essentially he ended up winning the war and establishes the dictatorship of Francisco Franco. And the rest is history. We can explain more details. I'm just gonna uh, pause there to answer any possible questions you may have.
0: Sure, well, I think the first thing we can see in this 20th century conflict that parallels what people are facing in the United States already and what they've faced really across Europe and the world with the COVID Mm -hmm. takeover and the COVID Mm -hmm. tyranny is the infiltration of leftist politics with Marxist ideas. So Mm -hmm. in in the United States, we, there was the thing called the democratic party, uh, back in the days of like maybe John F. Kennedy, there was a certain, uh, Basically, I mean, it could be tolerated. It's, I mean, you could debatably be a Catholic Democrat at that time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it just means like more taxes, more stuff, you I know, mean, that sort of thing. But now, the Democratic Party today in the United States is just a oh, Marxist party. It's just a yeah. socialist party at this point. You know, their yeah. their platform is entirely pro child murder. Uh, yeah. It's totally Marxist. Um, there apparently there's pro life Democrats out there, but uh, they need to take back their party from the Marxists. But um, in the same way, the the Marxist in, in the name of republicanism, in the name of just basically liberal ideas, which are would be debatable just in terms of you know, you vote in a president, that idea of voting a president. Yeah. The Marxists infiltrated that party in Spain in the twenties and thirties, and they instigated the Marxist takeover in the name of democracy.
1: So that's already
0: that's already our, our parallel in the United
1: States. And this is the, the, one of the things that we can actually, uh, in America, we still have plenty of time to pump the brakes, that's for sure. We're not like Spain. In Spain, things radicalized because Spain was obviously there in Europe, geographically speaking, that's an obvious statement. We're not. So the ideas that were flew there, they travel a lot faster than they can reach America, even in our modern day, you know, here just you know currently what we have. So in Spain, you have a society that's becoming radicalized, right? You see the European theater, you have all these Marxists and all you have these fascists. Well, the Spanish society becomes radicalized, two sides. The right-wing side, the fascists, or what they call it, fascists, was led by José Antonio Primo de Rivera, the son of the general who was uh, under the dictatorship. He created a political party, the phalanx, uh, the Falange, And essentially, he united just like traditionalists. You know, he united people who are just plain old right-wingers and fascists and all that. And the Spanish society, especially the youth, saw in that party a refuge, per se, from the persecution that the left wing was doing. Unfortunately, like any war, there's conflicts and there's deaths. The war is war. And that's why I'm always struggling with people who advocate for war like so lightly, because, you know, once you let the genie out of the box, out of the bottle, it's just, you know, hard to put it back in. Well, the even then, with the right wing party in the flanks and all that. Right-wing extremism was very different from the rest of European countries, actually, you know, like fascism with Mussolini or Nazism in Germany. uh, The Spanish right-wings were not actually like they were not just apples, per se. You know, they were not like just hunting people and enemies and all that. When Franco wins, you know, this right-wing wins and all that. One of the first things he started doing is trying to look for reconciliation because Franco understood, Franco was a devout Catholic, Franco understood. That uh, we're all brothers and sisters. You know, we can have disagreements, and they can be wrong, or we can be wrong. But at the end of the day, we're all Spanish, and most importantly, we're all Catholics. So he found in on in this mountain outside of Madrid area, about well, 40 minutes uh, outside of Madrid, this in this Sierra, this mountain range, the perfect place, and he built a basilica. Well, it was a, actually it was a graveyard, and they turned into a monastery and a basilica nowadays so the idea was we're gonna bury both sides imagine like you know confederates and northerners you know in one old you know uh place um and actually yeah you have a great article by stefania aguirre uh, uh, there it's a great great article highly recommended that cross by the way you see there in the image is the biggest cross in the world till this day um and that was done by, by the franco uh, government and everybody was is buried there from both sides and a lot of the uh, political prisoners were working in that valley. It's called the Valley of the Fallen, Valle los Caídos, okay? That's beautiful, beautiful. Event. I think it's Stefania took those pictures. I'm not sure, though. But, like, this is just this, a beautiful. This is
0: video. one of the promotional videos for the boys' choir. Uh, oh, yeah. So this, is, this shows some great aerial footage of the... Uh, yeah. Let me make this bigger. Let's see here. so Here's a Maybe. great aerial footage of this the monument built by Franco. Yeah. Please continue.
1: So the the both sides of the aisle, they're buried there in representation of we're brothers and sisters, and Christ is what unites us. The war is over, but our brotherhood has never stopped being there. So uh, Franco was buried there. Actually, well, hold on, was buried there behind an altar. Franco did not request to be buried there, by the way. Uh, that's what the church actually did for him. Um, so when they buried him there by the altar, you know, the monastery, uh, everything supposedly was done. Spain actually you know, had prosperity at that time. Uh, obviously, it wasn't perfect, but it was like the ninth most important industrial economy in the world at that time. Now it's far from that. Um, so when the leftists took over again, especially in the last uh, you know, 10, 15 years with Zapatero beginning with uh, being the prime minister, which is a staunch socialist, he tried to push this agenda to desecrate the valley, uh, the, the cemetery, the Valley of the Fallen. And he trying to just uh, dig the bodies up, you know, and Professor Barcena, which is a very well-known uh, professor in the Spanish world. He's been in the movie Garabandal, he's an academic Spanish intellectual, arguably one of the most important and popular professors in the Hispanidad uh, world, um, assures that it was part of the Masonic ritual. And he probably has good, you know, evidence for it. I don't know for sure, but like I won't put it, you know, I wouldn't doubt it. So the idea the is the Zapatero, exhuming, just
0: the exhuming of Franco was a part of yeah. a Masonic ritual, according to this professor.
1: Yeah, Professor Barsina. And he actually
0: body. yeah,
1: yeah, and he actually documented in books and, and research papers. He's actually one of the few people who have been there. There's thousands of documents, and he's one of those who actually read all those documents and did research. Because there's this law in Spain, modern Spain, it's called Ley de Memoria Democrática, like a democratic memory law. So essentially what it means with this law, they try not to erase anything from Franco in Spain, anything religious. The valley wants to be turned, well, according to leftists, they want to turn it into just a public place. And they want to exhume all the bodies from the people buried there and even punish anybody who speaks friendly of Franco. To this day, I'm I'm a little bit flabbergasted, Timothy, because I'm used to American freedoms, even with our flawed governments, even with our you know systems that sometimes don't perform the best way. At the end of the day, I'm surprised that you and I can use the medium like YouTube, and even if it's codified, we can openly speak our mind. Apparently in Spain and Europe is not so. So you can actually get fined to for praising Franco uh, in some cases. Uh and they're talking about a couple of thousand euros there. So it's not cheap. They're really trying to do the whole like mind control or speech control over there. And a lot of the Spanish conservatives I found it, are finding refuge here in America because we have the ability to speak what they can't. This is where our nation, by the way, plays a crucial role, not just internally, but worldwide. This is the resistance, if we want to put it that way, the um, uh, the, sh- the the corner of the West, you know, has been reduced to America, not even Canada, because we actually can speak for other countries that they are not allowed to be uh, heard in that sense. So right now, with the modern Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez, which is another avowed leftist socialist. Um, I honestly don't know who is worse, Mexico's president or Spain's president. I mean, It's, just, it's, it's, it's a tough battle, man. That, that tells you it's a race at the bottom. Um, so Pedro Sanchez was the one who was able to assume Franco's body in 2019 uh, against the churches in the society's wishes. He even leftist wishes were like, you know, we leave the dead alone kind of thing. But um, according to Professor Barzana, and again, he has a lot of good evidence. He makes a strong case. It was actually a Masonic ritual. Um, And and if you see the videos, that kind of has a lot of those characteristics, you know, but uh, they were able to assume his body and it's a way to desecrate, but they haven't been contempt with, uh, or they haven't been happy with that. They want to go further. This is an underlying lesson for us, by the way, here in America. If you think that uh, left-leaning politicians or, you know, organizations are going to be happy with leaving you in your own corner of the country, you're grave, gravely mistaken. You know, uh, liberals go not just after you, after your possessions, and more importantly, after your children. They're not happy living their own wretched lives and ideologies. You know, let's say they can have whatever corner, not even the whole step. Let's say you give them part of California. They can do whatever you want, whatever they want. Well, that's not going to be enough. That's not going to suffice. It is, no. I want to go to your place, and I want to take over, and I want to indoctrinate your kids. And yep. the reason why they haven't done it is not because they have nice, tender hearts. It's because they have not been able to. But the moment they're able to, trust me, they will, they're will. they coming after you. They're not going to come. They are already coming after you. And they're not going to stop until yeah, they're I mean, done look, with you. Look,
0: look what they did when they had power over the past two years. What did they yeah. do? They, they opened all the nastiest things in our society and closed down the churches. That's what they want Dude. to do when they have power.
1: this is when we know we're in deep water timothy because two things are very it's a common denominator with leftist governments and i'm not i'm not a republican per se you know i'm i'm just i'm for america this is my country i love it to death um but this is if you notice when you're in deep trouble is with governments here's two characteristics okay the first one is inflation see venezuela see what's going on in Bolivia, see what's going on in Argentina uh, and Spain, all the parts of Europe. Inflation is one characteristic. The other one is violence, like crime goes up. Anytime you have those you know, two factors going on, you know you have a socialist government in charge. Mexico is obviously the same thing, sadly. And we see it in parts of America too. This is obviously for us a wake up call. But instead of acting like leftists, you know, fighting fire with fire, the first step, and i said it with you many times before, is understanding, okay, what culture has successfully fought Marxists and socialists, the Spanish culture? What did they do? First and foremost, they cling to the dogmas of the church, okay? Which is not the same as saying to the clerics, which, you know, I'm not okay. set of a contest at all. I'm not even Lefebvre, to be honest. Like, you know, people know me on Twitter. I'm not necessarily a sympathizer for, like, all those who deny Vatican II and all that. I'm a staunch Vatican supporter and all that. But I'm also not naive. I understand that there is great problems with our church government, uh, not to uh, undermine it or deny it, but there's clearly great troubles. So we don't cling per se to the figures, the political figures of our church. We cling to the dogmas, you know, and and that's what we need to follow through if we want to be successful and have the chance to overcome what's, you know, trying to take over our nation.
0: Yeah, I want to pause for a minute and and make sure everybody knows to check out hispanidad the whole series at one peter five there's a link below the youtube channel uh and this we have a a wonderful anglo writer from canada who is a hispanophile and goes to mexico very often and she writes these beautiful articles about mexican christendom which i love Uh, Mm -hmm. her latest this morning is our lady of pueblito against pagan idols uh and then we have this the article again from estevanilla on uh, the franco's cross here leftist target spain's relics and world record public cross uh and we also talk a little bit about um obviously the the the, the el camino uh carlism in texas we have Luis's yeah. own article on hispanic america i love this forgotten catholic finding of america it's one of my favorite articles about catholic <laughs> florida yeah um, and then um so take a look at it. There's there's all, all our written content on Hispanic Dad so far. And if you, if anyone wants to contribute to Hispanic Dad, this is all things Hispanic Christendom, according to our editorial stance. And I think uh, I, I should mention here, because as we're talking about Franco, um, what I've noticed in in talking with you, Luis, and learning from you is that there is a complete dearth, lamentably, of an understanding uh, and appreciation for Hispanic culture in the English language. And there's a reason for that because the 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 second enemy we mentioned, the, the, the Mohammedans were were beaten back and yeah. they obviously they hate Spain. But the other heretics, the Anglican regime, they were political rivals, religious rivals with the Spanish Empire, and they were also experts at propaganda. And they churned out their propaganda. They really invented the the modern propaganda, I'd say, under the yeah. the reign of the wicked Queen Elizabeth the First. But um, <laughs> so so many of the black legends that you may have heard of, Spanish yeah. Spanish Inquisition, you know, that was invented via Anglican propaganda, and to this day, I remember mentioning that the um, I don't have uh, where is that I can't I can't grab it right now, but Bartolomé mm. de las Casas. Oh yeah. Uh, he he is the he, he was propped up, he's been propped up by Anglican propaganda, and you know, the whole even to this day, you know, the the whole Spanish colonialism black legend that you know, these Spanish people were so awful, even though all the Spaniards and the Aztecs married each other. I don't know why they were so awful, they married each other, but um, <laughs> a- uh, but to this day, <laughs> I mean, when I was in college, I was taught these black legends and Spanish black legends, but it's because there was the, an Anglican regime who made it their business to lie about Spain. And so there's just a a total lack of English scholarship in the English language that's actually telling the truth about Spain. So this is why it's so important. And then once the Marxists get involved in the 20th century, it just gets even worse uh, because they're, as you said, their job is to put everything down the memory hole to destroy the memory. Uh, And this also became acute for citizens of the United States because what happened during the Spanish Civil War was you had the socialist Republicans, as you said, they're Marxist, they're communists, they're dragging out priests from their churches and shooting them in the street. They're sho- they're throwing clergy to the lions. Literally, they went to the yeah. zoo and threw them to the lions to be eaten. Yeah. Uh, this is a brutal, brutal civil war. You- you'll have to let me know if, if be- there be dragons is an accurate portrayal. But the-, the brutality of this, the communists in this civil war was immense. So these yeah. these were communists murdering and raping nuns and destroying Spaniards left and right throughout Spain. Yeah. And guess who was on the side of that communist wicked takeover? The United States and Soviet Russia. They were both on the same side supporting the uh, communists during this time. And so and, and it just so happened that Franco was also on the wrong side according to the Americans, uh, in World War II. And we'll talk about that, too. But all of yeah. this has to do with the fact that the American empire has had a vested interest in lying about Franco as well. Now, was Franco perfect? No. Obviously, no. Franco made mistakes. We can debate about that. That's fine. But Franco is a devout Catholic. He he was a, a devout Catholic. He uh, Tell us about his Catholicism, Luis. Can you tell us any stories about Franco and his Catholicism?
1: Actually, Franco was such a devout Catholic that he named one of his own daughters Pilar, you know, in order of Our Lady of the Pillar and all that. He was a great promoter uh, of Catholicism. He understood. Hold on. This is an interesting fact about Franco that few people mentioned. It's documented. I can send you the links where, you know, you can source it if people are interested. Uh, When Franco was able to play both sides because he understood he was stuck between a rock and hard place. Right. You have the... uh, Nazis on one side and then the communists on the other side. That's a tough neighborhood, honestly. You know, the, the, so uh yeah, Hitler actually visited Franco quite a bit and all that. Hitler actually ended up hating Franco because he played felt I'm sorry, he felt played by Franco, which was true, uh uh at the end of the day. And even the Germans uh said it, the, the Spanish don't understand fascism as we understand it. You know, they're like in a deception, kind of like a deception, disappointed kind of um frame view. So Franco also, this is an interesting law. When Primo de Rivera, the general, early 20th century uh, was in power, he, enacted or he or his administration or the monarch enacted a law that allowed the former Sephardic Jews to come back to Spain. Remember, we talk about the expulsion of the Jews, one of the earliest cities of Catholicism, how France and England and all these places kicked the Jews out of their countries and they were really mean. And when Spain finally... Uh, they said okay we have to do this they actually even send them with resources and you know allow them safe passages and all that which is very different from all again all the european countries and it's not because the spanish ended up themselves with all the respect they're virtuous they're just humans like sinners like you and i It's because catholicism really had a strong imprint in the way they handle things in catholicism is every human bears the image of god imago Dei, right and you, even if you don't agree with that person, even if that person's wrong, he still bears God's image and deserts by, in and of itself, uh, degree of dignity, period. Well, well, the Jews were allowed to come back. And Franco used that law, even though explicitly Spain only recognized Catholicism. You know, It's, re- it's not the official religion of Spain, but they recognize this is the religion of the Spanish people. Well, they said... Anybody who has Spanish descendants, even if he was not Catholic, can come to Spain or find safe passage to Spain. So the Spanish ambassadors, especially in France, but especially in Germany, were literally smuggling Jews running from Poland, from uh, Germany, and all these other places that were being persecuted and found safe passage in Spain. Literally, Spain sent ambassadors all the way to Greece to not some Jews running from persecution. And guess what? They sailed from Spain, and even to a lesser degree, Portugal, to go to America in Mexico and Argentina, primarily you know, to find safe passage, and it was through Spain. Literally, the Jews in Israel and some universities celebrate Franco's birth to this day in honor to all the things that Franco did. So a lot of people are baffled because how can this right-wing ca- ca- Catholic, you know, there's such a staunch Catholic and, you know, Catholicism everywhere in Spain and crucifixes and all the public schools and prayer and blah, 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 uh, be so benevolent to you know, a religion like Judaism. And this is where one of the greatest mistakes uh, all these academics make is to connect Catholicism with anti Judaism, which is different from anti-Semitism, for those of you who are watching they are two different terms, by the way. Well, obviously Catholicism is not anti, strictly speaking Judaism. Uh, We have strictly speaking nothing against them. We just wish for them to find the fullness of the faith, which is Catholicism, which is true, find Christ, that's it. But it's not necessarily we wanna eradicate anybody, at least, Uh, and I think most of them understand it that way. Well, Franco understood it that way and even though it was a different um, ideology per se, or different understanding of life, he still provided safe passages for thousands of Jews actually to be saved till this day they're very thankful for. Uh, and it was not done anywhere else in Europe. Uh, it was like, once again, Spain. And thanks to the Catholicism of Franco. Uh,
0: yeah, that, that's that's a great story that I, I didn't even know that story. Um, but uh, we yeah, we've, at this point, we've said pretty much all the buzzwords to get the YouTube shut up down. We'll see, if, <laughs> we'll see if this YouTube video even continues on YouTube. I don't know. Last sure. time I last time I talked about this topic, it was it was um, removed from YouTube within forty eight hours. So oh, we'll just man. see. We'll just see. Um, it's funny. Um, what about the? Can you talk on Franco's relationship with the so called the Mustache Man who is in. Germany at the time of World War II?
1: Well, a little mustache man uh, went to Spain and got a lot of gold and a lot of resources. And Franco got a lot of weapons and strategic, actually used a lot of the German uh, intelligence and, and strategic to win the civil war. Once the war was done, actually, and over with, there is a clear distancing, now, before we get all like our, our, you know, before we tear our clothes with indignity, we do the same thing in America. Well, we don't, but like our government does sort of the same thing. You know, we, we flirt with both sides and then we pick the winner kind of thing. In America, they kind of the same thing. Once Franco won, they recognized him as, okay, He's this is the guy that rules Spain. Uh, and we're going to go with it, whether we like it or not. Well, uh, the short man with a stash up there in, uh, in the northern lands of Europe obviously felt, uh, Played and defrauded, and he vowed actually to hang Franco as soon as the war was over and hang her from the tallest uh, pole if you can find it, because that's how much disdain he had for him. Obviously, that didn't come, and uh, thankfully, also, uh, that didn't happen, but it was not necessarily a very friendly relationship they had. Um, at the end of the day, the ones who actually hated the most, even more than that guy with a stash, um, was actually the Soviets. Uh, that they, they really resented the fact that they lost Spain became for a little bit a laboratory you know there for warfare you know they they tested both sides tested a lot of weapons both sides you know tra- tested strategies and and both sides took notes of what was going on for the sadly bigger theater which is World War Two. you know that's where we are at at and by oh, the way the oh, church named Franco the defender of the faith also.
0: Oh there we go yes very very important uh, yeah. yes. <laughs> He's a defensor of Fidei, a, a very important yeah. title that the Pope gives you. Yeah. Um, that you don't get lightly. Um yeah. Sovi- as I understand it, the we talk about Our Lady of Fatima, and Our Lady of Fatima warns that these errors of Russia will spread. And yeah. in Western Europe and the Americas, the Soviet Soviets were already spreading re- um they were spreading sexual revolution. But yeah. as I understand it, the Soviets were sending all these resources into Spain to try to mm-hmm. instigate the Spanish Civil War, and they had been yeah. doing that. Can you speak yeah. to that the Soviets involvement?
1: Yeah, that's actually how the, this whole radicalization. Let me put it in modern terms actually, so so we can relate. Um, you know how the Soviets go to Spain and they start like infiltrating to universities and mainstream media and propaganda, and they start literally funding, Russia started funding all these places to, like you mentioned, to instigate civil war. The society that reacts against it. And culturally speaking, Jose Primo de Rivera is the one who was kind of able to gather all this, like, sentiment of repulsion to the socialist idea. I'm not saying what he did is great or perfect. I'm just saying what what happened. Um, In modern terms, it will be kind of like, you have, the Spanish society was started, by the way, of politicians when both sides, supposedly both sides of the aisle, working basically the same agenda. Very similar to what happened in America, what happened a few years back, uh, where Steve Bannon, per se, was able to kind of conceptualize the concept of, you know, uh, former 45, you know, uh, former president. I don't want to name him because we already mentioned all these buzzwords. I don't want more. (laughs) Thank
0: you. Thank you.
1: (laughs) So, um, yeah, he was a political, I mean, he was, uh, he was 45 was the political figure, but really the, the soul behind it was more like Steve Bannon per se. Well, that was Primo Rivera in that regard, right? And the people found refuge. Okay, this guy gets it. Because this is not about being Republican or Democrat here in America. They were tired of rhinos. Well, the same thing in Spain was happening. They were tired of supposedly right-wing conservatives just playing along with the Republicans who were clearly being uh, instigated by the Russians in that sense. Obviously, this is way after our later Fatima, the event. Um, till this day, we can see the consequences of the errors of Russia. Till this day, in our country, by the way, not just like in Europe, in all that. All that all hispanic america except for uh all latin america actually except for brazil it is actually left-leaning socialist you know governments. chile argentina you know except for maybe paraguay and uruguay which uruguay is fairly liberal anyway culturally speaking everybody you know it's like colombia which the unthinkable happened we have a marxist now in power uh self-declared marxist where colombia has never happened you know so we have with all the respect, Colombia is one thing, it's a smaller country, you know, it's, it's bad, but when Mexico goes socialist, that's concerning. That's the biggest Spanish-speaking country in the whole world, you know, the, the, what's it, the third uh, biggest uh, Catholic body in the world, too. So it's, that's, that's our major thing. So anyway, so we see all this leftism spreading in, in America to this day from the eras of Russia. Well, this is what's happening already in Spain and Spain sought to, through the phalanx, through the political party to push back kind of like what the MAGA movement is not exactly the same, just it's for us to have an idea. Movement sought to stop like the drain the swamp kind of attitude thing, you know? So this is for us to have a parallel understanding of what's going on in society. Like there's nothing new under the sun at the end of the day, right?
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's a good parallel because there are right wingers in the United States that Catholics may find to I mean, the president you mentioned, yeah. first and foremost, I mean, that president, we're not sure how pious he really is or was, but, and many of his supporters were, of course, but Catholics yeah. are willing to ally with the sort of a broad mm-hmm. alliance of conservatism in it for just practical purposes. We, we don't yeah. like all the, the opinions of everybody and what they want to do. They're not pious. You know, they're just right wingers but we're willing to have some, some collaboration yeah. with them. I think that's a good parallel with the situation with the Spanish yeah. Civil War. I want to ask you about post-Vatican II Spain, because as I understand it, according to uh, Anglo scholar of Franco, Stanley Payne, uh, David Wemhoff's book talks about this and other sources. As I understand it, after Vatican II, Paul VI, who was arguably a little naive about the communists, he was pressuring Franco to renounce the the i think it was the rights of the Spanish crown to mm-hmm. confirm bishops, something like that where um the the secular power had the right to uh, cooperate in the appointment of bishops. And this is very traditional. This goes back centuries and centuries and centuries yeah. that, that secular The so-called secular meaning the temporal lay power of rulers was confirming and cooperating to a degree the emperor the holy roman emperor could actually veto the pope for example as he did in the in the 1903 or four uh conclave um so as i understand it paul vi pressured franco to renounce this which as i understand it he did to obey the pope because he was trying to be a pious catholic and uh also allow more freedom of religion to the non-Catholics in Spain, the, specifically the Protestants, and as a result of this, at least the argument goes, there was a lot of Marxist, uh, Marxist-friendly bishops, but definitely Marxist clergy who actually led the, the the post-Vatican II Marxism in Spain. It was led by clergy, according to uh, Stanley Payne and David Wimpoff. So, how Man. do you interpret the? How do you interpret the post-Vatican II Spanish
1: history? You just, I mean, you just hit the, you know, the nail on the head. I mean, that's exactly what happened, at least in my estimation. It, the first wave of Marxism came through the educational system. You know, that's a warning shot for us. The second one came actually through the clergy in Spain after the 60s. And it's no coincidence that the, after Vatican II, and again, I'm very careful The way I try to phrase this, because I don't want to give the impression I really reject and abhor the idea, the notion that Vatican II is the reason why we have uh, uh, fallout in the church and all this debacle, because I think it's a very reductionist, very simplistic argument with all due respect for those who don't subscribe to that, because... Well, Protestants also have seen all, uh, uh, the backbone of their faith, Jews and Mohammedans too. But it's, it's not exclusively of Catholics. It's just more noticeable on us, obviously, because we're a bigger target anyway. But it actually, you know, my, my I, I just ask and plead to like, let's expand this view a little bit more. Let's question it deeper. What happened, at least in the Western world, and I'm sure in the Eastern world, have had their own issues. Uh, during the sixties, what what is it that made us as a whole society exchange the transcendental view something bigger than ourselves, exchange it for some materialistic view? I don't understand it's a mystery to me, but obviously to reduce it to Vatican II to me is kind of silly with all due respect. Yeah, well, and
0: I just I just want to say to that point, I think that Trads we should be able to concede the fact that there are a multitude of historical factors influencing this whole decline. Vatican one is one of the factors and different things that happen at Vatican two or whatever um, different. There's all sorts of different factors at play historically. Yeah. So I don't think it's, I agree it's with you. Don't more think complicated. We, should, yeah. we should reduce it to only one cause. That would be a little naive to, to look at it only one cause as, as to council.
1: Yeah. It's like saying, well, you know, dental, and again, I love going to Latin mass and I love going to ordinary, all this traditional stuff. Like I love it um actually all my sacramentals basically have been blessed in uh, uh tridentine masses like you know so the i go there not because i think there's better or anything I, I love it so I, i'm putting my money where my mouth is in other words well it's kind of infantile to say just because you change it from the vernacular to latin to the vernacular everything went apart well that's it's just not so so in this particular case back to the original point with spain I just don't understand how is it that Franco went from being a defender of the faith and then after Vatican II, in order to specify what my stance in Vatican II is. It's the opposite, like it was an antagonistic relationship. and also the priests now are doing the function that the teachers did you know 60 years earlier than you know before them, you know, 50, 60 years before them. And now Marxism is infiltrating through the priesthood, in the communities, and it was actually the priests who were leading the reforms in Spain, the liberal reforms in the 70s, that when Franco uh, passed out and all that, took hold of Spain. The There is a constant theme of conflict in the Spanish society with liberals trying to change society in Spain. For example, early in the 20th century, when the Republicans funded by the Marxists, like I mentioned before, were are trying to get hold of it, the king was Alfonso XIII, uh, el Rey Alfonso. And King Alfonso, by the way, was the guy who consecrated Spain to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Spain has been consecrated like three times. He was the last one. In all, and an ironic point is King Alfonso ended up consecrating Spain, but he ended up exiled, self-exiled. Sure, but he ended up being exiled from Spain because then when the Republicans took over, you know, his head was on the line. He said, well, I gotta go before this uh, you know, broils into a bigger conflict. But anyway... With King Alfonso, this is documented, actually. You have the Masonic lodges there who were pushing for King Alfonso to legalize uh, divorce, you know, to make it okay to be divorced and uh, the diversity of religion and all that kind of stuff. And King Alfonso refused. And when King Alfonso was going to consecrate Spain, they warned him, "Is you may consecrate Spain, but you will not stay in the kingdom. And obviously, they meant business because he consecrated Spain, but he was he had to run for his life. So what, we see this year was that
0: consecration, uh,
1: 1919, if I'm not mistaken, and I could be wrong, please correct me if I'm okay. wrong in the dates, uh, the consecration of the sacred heart of Jesus for Spain. Um, needless to say King Alfonso was not necessarily, was not necessarily a pious man. Okay. That, that, let's just clarify that I'm not trying to lie on ice or anything like that. Um, so when that happened, not too long after, you know, he had to run, you know, just, you know, run for his life and the monarchy was done not too long after him. Well, you have this constant tension between you know, Marxists trying to change society. And one of the key themes that Marxists want to do, like I mentioned before, is the first thing is we got to get rid of any concept of transcendental. Same thing you see in America is one of the first things liberal ones is we want to make sure they understand that there's nothing bigger than ourselves you know, we're it in this case for us it's technocrats more than actually you know marxists but it's the same thing technocrats nowadays most of them are working for the marxist agenda you know all this so that this just ends up in the same place well now when franco uh, the second part of the legacy after vatican ii the relationship with the church was definitely sour uh not as good And part of it was because a lot of priesthood, I don't want to say everybody or even most, but a big chunk of the priesthood, the clergy in Spain became highly, highly liberalized and introduced Marxism. Uh, The Jesuits obviously being at the front line of this in Spain, uh, among other places, uh, the area of the Basque country also, my people, you know, uh, I come from Basque stock, we became also very uh, liberal, the clergy over there. Uh, but also, this is the time we, we have uh, Our Lady of Garabandal, which I know is not necessarily an approved apparition, but also warning about those things in Garabandal, you know, the uh, the apparitions of Our Lady there, warning about this thing going on processing and prophesying, whatnot.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to uh, I look up the final words of Franco, or his final public address, is in November 1975, he exhorted his fellow Spaniards, this is quoting from David Wemhoff's book, by the way, about CIA involvement in vatican II, um he says franco says this quote when the hour comes for me to surrender my life before the most high and appear before his implacable judgment i pray that god may receive me graciously in his presence for i sought always to live and die as a catholic do not forget that the enemies of spain and of christian civilization are alert
1: end quote that's a great lesson for us till this day by the way uh, do not forget that the enemies. is now, it's not so much Spain, but America and Christendom, they're alert, and we're not. And this is part of Reconquista's wake up call. Uh, and also, my collaboration with you, Timothy, uh, and other people is It's really it's a wake up call, not for fear, actually, but to take up arms in this case, not necessarily little like weapons, but like the rosary, which I know is being categorized as whatever, um, but like sacramentals and prayer and devotion and piousness, because this is how we overcome that the the enemies of the faith nowadays Timothy, have way more money and resources than us they have all the media they have academia they have the government agencies clearly so we're not going to overpower them it's trying it's like trying to get in a kicking contest with a mule you're not going to win well but they lack the most important thing faith in our lord and they don't have the advocate of our lady you know they don't have a lawyer like our lady and i'm sorry but if you're going to lawyer up you better have our lady in your side because you're going to lose So this is an opportunity for us to rise up and become what we're called to be. Values, courageous Christian men. Franco understood this uh, in their society. We can apply in our society, especially with uh, Generation X and, uh, and younger, like millennials and Gen Z is, I'm sorry, but you're born in a spiritual war right now. That's just the way it is. Not your fault, but that's just a reality. Okay. And. Their sides to be taken. In this spiritual war we have, especially fathers like you and me, we're generals. And the supreme commander is Christ. We have to give answers to Christ. And our soldiers, our family, our children, how are we going to train our children to fight a spiritual war that's going on right now? Uh, by hiding our heads and burying them in the sand? In the sand or are we going to embrace our Catholic faith in ways that has been proven to be successful, like Spain, and apply it in our lives, in our communities?
0: Absolutely. That, so that brings up the what the movement that we are promoting at uh, 1 Peter 5 is the Crusade of Eucharistic Reparation. Mm-hmm. And this is really modeled after the Reconquista, the successful crusade. Um, we have a number of different articles along these lines, but just so everyone knows, you can join the crusade. We haven't set up everything yet on the website, but you can email me if you want to join, editor at... One peter 5com and this is this involves making reparation to our lord and the blessed sacrament for so many different injuries given to him and restoring the latin mass in the church and mm-hmm. it just involves a one-hour adoration per month and then praying once per month the prayer of the crusade written by his excellency bishop athanasius snyder and we have a number of other demotions that we recommend um, but what Spain gives us is Spain gives us this model for crusade because we have other crusades in the history of the church, most famously the Eastern crusade, which went to Jerusalem and the first crusade was a success. It took back Jerusalem for Christendom. And, but if you study that history closely, you can see why did the Eastern crusade ultimately fail? The reason is because the crusaders, were too attached to earthly concerns. They Their crusade was not purified of all earthly attachments. They started to bicker over power and riches and all mm-hmm. this, and they started to fight for an earthly kingdom instead of mm-hmm. the heavenly kingdom, the city of God. And that's why they failed, because nothing will ever stand against Mohammedanism unless you are perfectly purified in your soul. If you try to fight with the earthly sword against Mohammed. Muhammad will Here, beat, we'll, beat you. Yeah, uh, yeah. And But if you fight against Muhammad with the spiritual sword, as Spain did, because we have the whole history of the El Camino de Compostela, the whole, yeah. all of Europe was doing pilgrimages to Spain for centuries and centuries. The The greatest, uh, I think it's number three pilgrimage site, or number two maybe in Europe, because they didn't go to Jerusalem very often. But you had Rome, number one. Uh, Walsingham is, is up there too, but Compostela yeah. is... One of the greatest pilgrimages sites of all time, and we have yeah. pilgrimages, uh, pilgrims going there for centuries, and we have this purification of the the Western Crusade in Spain because we can see that it was a, a much more deeply rooted in the people, and they were not not say they didn't sin. We had Spanish kings killing each other, and oh you know, yeah. It was the um, uh, I can't remember the name of the, the traitor who let the Mohammedans in in seven. Oh, months yeah,
1: before. I forgot. Yeah, it, it uh, was actually uh, a former cleric, a bishop actually, who defended, yeah. <laughs> Yes, oh, yeah, the, never yeah. mind.
0: That I love the, the speech of, of the bishop who tries to convince Palayo to yeah. give up, Palayo. the Red of yeah. and he says that uh, you'll never win. He says, uh, you know, um, so just so you know, we should tell the story real quick because it's it's so important. Uh, I mean, the um, the the all of Spain is conquered by the Mohammedans. This is like the year what 750 711 or something. Yeah, yeah, um, I think, yeah, the entire country had been fallen to the Mohammedans at that point. And there was just a little mountain, um, called Asturias or the mountain or the region of Asturias. Yeah, and the bishop comes to him and says, You got to give up, you're not you're not gonna win. What are you thinking, Palayo? Just give up to the Mohammedans. So the bishop's mm-hmm. t- talking to the, the prince, and Palayo says, No, have you not read that the church is the mustard seed? And that's the beginning of the Reconquista. What, what did I miss in that beautiful story? Well, uh,
1: and also you gotta keep on, let's go back a couple of centuries. Spain was one of the early places where actually, um, cause you know, the Aryan controversy, you know, you have Aryan Christianity and then uh, Trinitarian Christianity. Well, Spain settled that question early on to the, the little council and all those things. So, because you have the monarchs in Spain were mostly German descent, you know, barbarian descent or Aryan in Spain. But the Hispanic, like the Roman's descendants and the uh, um, Phoenician descendants, so the people who make, make up Hispania were actually Trinitarian, and that was causing tensions. Well, finally, Spain settles uh, that question, and they become a Trinitarian kingdom. You know, everybody's just on the same page. Well, a couple centuries later, next thing you know, the, the Islam is invading, and that's what's happening. So Spain already had this idea of, you know, we're fighting against something bigger than ourselves, and we have to cling to the dogmas of the faith that's actually the one of the underlying tones of hispanic thought again it's not about race it's not about language it's about understanding what matters in life and what matters is the faith in spain part of the reason why just let me go forward a little bit with the protestant revolt and all that the reason why it did first of all culturally speaking spanish is catholic but other than that in the catholic dna of the spanish society or the hispanic society but at least in spain particularly they had a formidable enemy which is islam and they really had to pick sides clearly there was no necessarily middle ground or compromises is either you're catholic or you're going to be erased and your family's going to be sold into slavery because the institution of slavery was highly profitable for the uh islamic world that's another you know politically correct factor that i want to talk about but actually was the the Muslims who actually benefit a lot from uh, human trafficking, you know, uh, especially with white European women. Well, anyway, back to the uh, Pelayo story. So Spain already had in their DNA the, the whole question about who are we? You know, what are we going to choose? And when Islam was at the doors knocking there, they said, no, basically they're saying we don't have the weapons in the system, but somehow God will provide. Deus vult. And Our Lady appeared in this cave in Covadonga, which is not in Spain, in Asturias, and the okay. rest is history. You know, this is uh, uh, Covadonga right here. Oh yeah, right yeah,
0: yeah. You, you can't see it because my my face is in the way usually, but mm-hmm.
1: Our but Lady Covadonga. Um, and that's literally what has defined Spain. That key moment, really, like rejecting a, a heretic, a heretic bishop has defined not just Spain, but really Hispanicity and the Western world in a greater extent. That key moment, who knew that a prince on the run hiding in a cave was gonna be a defining moment for the Western world. You know, uh, that's just like small changes can have bigger impacts. So for us in America, uh, cause we're right now the only country sadly that is resistant, uh, resistant uh, to the combats and, and the attacks of the global elite. Um, we are seeing some positive changes the former president of this uh, country right number 45 did something very interesting his character personal character is obviously questionable that's, that's, i mean that's a reality we mentioned that before i mean nothing personal but it clearly is more than questionable okay i get you that but timothy one of the things i noticed is i don't know if you remember in his um campaign farewell address before you know the re-election campaign started, They play the Ave Maria at the White House by a Protestant president and a president who has a lot of moral flaws, by the way. So I thought, hold on a second. Our lady, if you would have told me you're going to witness the Ave Maria at the White House in a political event by this flawed character. This is not about him, by the way. It's about our lady. It's like, that's actually a lot of reasons to be hopeful for. While the other side, I remember that, uh, what was the song? What is Worth For? I forgot. They, they did a remix and this guy acting in a very questionable matter, dancing with a dress and all that. Anyway, so you see two different images, you know, conflicting of two different messages. For us, this is our turn and we cling to uh, Our Lady for guidance and through the power of God. And this is the key, key point. Um, and I'm going to go to the questions very quickly, if you let me finish this point, which is, I don't know if you read The Art of War, you know, from Sun Tzu. One of the things he mentions is the highest form of war is attacking strategy, okay? Uh, and then the second lowest form of war is attacking uh, resources, people. And then the lowest form is attacking people. And I'm paraphrasing, by the way. But I know this, like the highest form of war is attacking strategy because you win without firing a shot. Adoration, by the way, is a strategic battle. So if you go to adoration or if you go to confession, if you partake in the sacraments of the church, strategically speaking, you're actually given a great, great, like, you know, you're hitting the enemy where they can't see it, but they will feel it. This is why we focus on that and not necessarily on the other things. The other things will come in and of themselves eventually, but if we don't part from the beginning, which is the strategy, and our strategy is we're going to partake in the sacraments. This is why the enemy wants wants to disrupt our family life and our spiritual lives, because the enemy knows that if they can break our strategic habits, spiritual habits, the rest will work on its own
0: yeah that's that's exactly right the the real battle is against the fallen angels against the world of flesh and devil if we lose sight Mm -hmm. of that and start to fight like the world as you said fighting fire with fire Mm -hmm. like if we fight like a marxist if we succumb to uh speaking words against charity on the Mm -hmm. internet on social media and succumb Mm -hmm. to sins like this we're just going to be destroyed by the fallen angels Mm -hmm. Uh, it's simple as that uh Pater Familia says, what is the best book on the Reconquista?
1: Ah, There's a great book by Jose Javier Esparza uh, that is called Asturias. There's many great books, but that's probably personally my favorite. I don't know if English. it's in English. I'm not okay. sure. I got to check. It's a popular book, so I wouldn't be surprised if it is in English. What I'll read it. name? Uh, Esparsa Asturias is the name of the book um, and okay. it has the story of how the Visigoths came from Spain then the Moors, you know, coming to Spain and it's, it's really cool. Uh, uh, the it's, gran,
0: la, la Gran Inventura de Reino de Asturias, that one? Yeah, yeah, okay. it has the
1: image of a king, like a bearded king and all that. Yeah, yeah. it
0: looks like, I, I don't see an English version.
1: We'll see. And if not, I'll look for it. There's different uh, books that talk about Reconquista in English as well, translations. Uh, okay. This is one of the things we got to work on in the Hispanic world, especially the Hispanic in the U S translating, you know, there's a lot of great documents in Spain that we can use in English. And the beautiful thing is in order for us to apply these principles, we don't have to be Spanish or Hispanic or whatever it is. this are lessons for all of us. Just like Guadalupe. Our Lady Guadalupe is for all of us. This thing from Spain is for all of us here in America. And this is the place that is needed the most in our country because this is the crux of the spiritual battle in this nation.
0: Yeah, I want to note one of the most important factors of Spanish Christendom, the Spanish Empire, that distinguishes it very sharply from the French Christendom after... uh, the Council of Trent, where Fran- France really experienced a great decline in their own Catholic society because there was absolute monarchy that was centralizing more and more and more bureaucracy and taking over local towns and bringing all the local lords to Versailles instead of ruling their own uh, local place. And that is subsidiarity, this, this yeah. critical principle of Catholic social teaching, wherein the local government must be the primary governor yeah. of the local concerns. And it should not be handled by a centralized bureaucracy, and that's something that obviously the United States has a serious problem with for yeah. the past 150 years or so. Uh, but even more and more, even in this price, in this uh, the past two years, crisis of that thing that we know what we're talking about two years ago um, in 2020, and how we've had more and more and more centralization. And this Our Lady of Guadalupe brings, as you know, as you noted, uh alt. And how yeah. the Hispanic Empire was obviously used Latin for theology and liturgy and etc. But Sp- Spanish was used for politics, econ- economics, various things. But the local people would have been speaking various tongues, uh, yeah. local tongues, the, the local dialects that all these Spanish missionaries uh, put into writing for the first time. They studied the yeah. grammar and they helped these people preserve their language, contrary to the Marxist myths that are, that are propagated. Yeah. Uh, not only noalt but the, the dialects of the andes empire the um the mm-hmm. Mayan Empire the dialects of the Philippines yeah. Um, yeah. and this is something that that our lady really our lady of Guadalupe really shows us is really the it's sort of a subsidiarity of Christendom in the spiritual yeah. sense because she perfectly uh, makes true enculturation which is where she presents herself as a mestiza who is um, communicate? This image communicates to a common Aztec uh, like Juan Diego, a uh, common uh, Indian of the time. It perfectly yeah. communicates the whole gospel message in a perfectly enculturated form in Nahuatl.
1: In Nahualt, so and that's go ahead. No, it's one of the greatest things about our faith is, Timothy, if you notice, one of the distinct of Catholicism, it, it actually it doesn't eradicate cultures, it sanctifies them. So... In other words, it's not out there to eliminate and replace like we saw in Canada or in America and other places where like if you're Indian, you were pretty much pushed to a reservation. Till this day we have it here in Oklahoma and parts of the U.S. Um, or you cease to be Indian and become just culturally Anglicized or whatever you want to call it. But in other words, it's, it eradicates your culture. This is why Catholicism is the only one who has able to go to places like Africa or Latin America or Southeast Asia and have an impact without erasing the cultural heritage. And we don't take those extremes. We get rid of the bad, obviously. We sanctify the good and life moves on. You know, it's not like you, you don't... Juan Diego didn't cease to be indigenous, but he was Catholic and very devout. And the Spanish did not become indigenous. Nobody's going to pretend that but they obviously learn a lot from each other. The, literally, the descendants of Montezuma are living to this day in Spain. Actually, they're great uh, advocates for hispanidad also, by the way. They were one of the persons objecting Mexico's president's request for Spain to apologize uh, for the conquest. Uh, so how does that play out? Very simple. There are actually Indian nobility, you know, from the Incas or the Aztecs who were actually teaching at the Spanish university, you know, in in uh, Oviedo or Salamanca or whatever, like that tells you why uh, Catholic Catholic spirit is important in this sense. It is no surprise that other uh, faiths struggle converting because the only option is uniformity, where Catholicism is universal. And there's a distinction I mentioned that before with you. Universal, you know, balance things. Uniformity requires force and somebody's gonna lose in this sense with uniformity, everything has to be the same. In Catholicism, it is not uniform, it's universal. And that's, you know, since literally the word actually is in the word. So um, this is the distinctive, it's the only society, not even the Portuguese were able to manage this I don't understand why. Uh, Obviously the French were not able to do that, neither the English or the Dutch, clearly the Dutch. And worst of all, the the, the Belgians, we know what the atrocities did in Africa, probably the worst of all in that sense. Now it's in the past, it's not our fault. and, And in that regard, we move on. But this is a clear example why when the dogmas of the faith, which don't belong to Spain, by the way, belongs to the church, are applied correctly in our society, Great things can happen. America is posed, is primed for those things to happen and actually have a, a almost certainty that it will happen in my generation. And I'm very excited to see what it's going to look like.
0: Fantastic. Well, um, that's a, a perfect way to end this. Thank you very much for your comments, everyone in the chat. Luis, thank you so much. Uh, I always enjoy uh, talking about Hispanic with you, as you know, so I appreciate it. Uh, So stay tuned in a couple of weeks. We will have somewhat of a similar episode about French Christendom, uh, obviously occasioned by the Holy Father's visit to Canada, in which there was an apology to a degree. And you just mentioned how the Mexican president demanded an apology from Spain in sort of a similar vein, but the Indian descendant of the Aztecs living in Spain rebuked him for it, which is yeah. <laughs> hilarious. But uh, uh, so so yeah, we'll we'll get that up. That'll be with Charles Coloman, and Kennedy Hall, two Canadian French Canadians, uh, Anglo Canadians, Italian My uh, favorites. So we'll, we'll get into that in a couple of weeks. Uh, but for now, let's offer up an Ave Maria that our crusade may be purified. Through the intercession of Our Lady of Guadalupe, Lupe, Empress of the Americas. Let's pray. In nomine Patris, et Filii, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus Tecum, benedicta tu mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus.
1: Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Amen.
0: In nomine patris, el fidi, et, et spiritu sancti. Amen. Oh,